0: Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 3. As Jonathan mentioned, uh, we looked at the first half of this chapter last week. Down to verse 20 this morning, we'll look at the last 11 verses, chapter twenty, chapter 3, verse 21 through uh, 31. Let me begin with a, uh, a dog story. Anytime I've ever seen a dog that has been to obedient school and Uh, does exactly what he's been taught to do Um, I hear somebody say wow I wish my dog could do that It's so cool when a dog you tell it to come it comes ask it to sit it sits you ask it to heal and it comes right beside you and walks beside you it's just it's just a beautiful thing One of the things we sometimes forget is the beauty of that whole experience is because of law. The dog has learned the law. The dog has learned the rules. And by keeping the rules, the dog expresses and demonstrates beauty and love for his or her master. Um... There's a sense in which sometimes we think we got to throw out the law, but without law, and I want you to see that this morning, there's really no true love. I like Outback Steakhouse, but whoever came up with their motto was on drugs. No rules just right. It's no way it could be just right without rules. you've got to have rules to come up with medium rare, right? There's got to be a standard. And without rules, it will never be just right. I want us to think about that as God talks about His law here. You have down in verse 21, now apart from the law. So some people think, okay, we just do away with the law. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Wait a minute. It's apart from the law, and then it's witnessed by the law. And then you get down to verse 31. uh, Do we then nullify the law through faith? And Paul says, absolutely not. May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. And you're going to see more and more as we go through the book of Romans how Paul presents the law as a standard which is holy, it's righteous, and it's good. And if we don't understand it, we're not going to have that just right feeling. We're not going to have the beauty that we're looking for. We're not going to understand the love of God. Uh, so let's, let's just kind of get into it. First of all, verses 21 through 24, he begins to show us a transfer of righteousness. The righteousness is transferred to us without the law when he says without the law he's literally meaning without self-effort without us doing something according to the law in other words we are not earning the righteousness the righteousness is coming to us without us keeping the law doesn't mean the law is thrown out but apart from us earning us keeping the law righteousness comes to us and he says and that's what's been witnessed by the law and the prophets god has been saying that all along law and the prophets is just a idiom that means the old testament the rest of the scriptures so the scriptures have been testifying to the fact that we need a righteousness that comes to us that we don't earn and that righteousness that comes to us that we don't earn comes through Christ. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Now, this is the generation where he was constantly having to to deal with Jew-Gentile kind of controversies. And people saying, well, the Jews get Christ, the Jews get God, they're the chosen special people. And Paul constantly having to say, no, 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 there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. The message from the beginning that, that we would all get righteousness unearned from the law, it would be given to Jew and Gentile. No distinction, it's given. Um, why no distinction given? Because we're, we're all sinners, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. The Jews are just as much a sinner as we are. Uh, we all sin. We all fall short. Um, So how then do we get justified? Verse 24. Being justified as a gift by His grace. So justification, don't miss, as a gift. You didn't earn it. It was apart from the law. Justification. By by the way, it might be helpful for you to see that the word justified in verse 24 and the word righteousness in verse 21, same Greek word. They get used interchangeably through uh, Romans. But If it helps you to understand, apart from our justifying ourselves, verse 21, with the law, we are justified by Christ, verse 24. Justified how? As a gift, not works. As a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Um, We typically, we saw back in Romans 1, value creating stuff and we worship the creation more than we worship the creator and so our tendency is to value our own self-efforts and our own works which is why he's having to labor this though you value your hard-earned stuff though you value your own efforts though you value achieving stuff you don't get justified that way, you don't get justified by keeping certain rules and laws. That's not what makes you right or righteous with God. It comes apart from any works. Um, if it was dependent upon our works, it says already, verse 23, we, we would all fall short. Uh, we do fall short, and we will not be redeemed by keeping laws. We're justified, verse 24 again, as a gift, not something we do. Faith is a gift. Circle that. Keep that. Faith is a gift. Repentance is a gift. This has to be delivered to us. We don't get to do it. Uh, Usually, uh, when people like the walkers come before us uh, and join us, I ask everybody the same question. Tell us how you came to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. What difference does it make uh, in your life? And. Usually, I, not usually, but a number of times, I've, I've had people say, well, I got saved when I was early. Oh, okay, uh, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, I started going to church, and I, I started reading the Bible, started praying, and I started doing this. When they start telling me that, I started, I started, I started, I did, I did, I did, I just keep waiting for the story to say, and then I fell away. And then I came back. In other words, then I really got saved. Why? Because the first part of the story was my works, I did this, and I did that, but justification is a gift. We know we're saved when we realize, you know, apart from works, apart from me doing anything, one day Christ showed up, and he gave me something I didn't have. He gave me himself, and in himself, he gave me his righteousness, and that changed everything. And it does. And that's what Paul's trying to say. It didn't matter whether I was a Jew or a Gentile. It didn't matter what I had done or not done. Christ showed up. And when Christ showed up, he gave me himself. He gave me redemption through Christ. And that was what justified me. Um, Many times we have faith in ourselves. We have faith in faith. Uh, Some churches even preach a faith in faith. You've heard it. Just believe it. You achieve it. So, all you got to do is believe in something. Believe in yourself. Believe in faith. And you achieve it. You name it. You claim it. No, faith needs an object better than faith. Faith needs an object better than self. I've uh, told my grandkids before hey, when we get home, you know, hang with me here. You know, they're running around. Hang with me here. When we get home, there's milk and cookies. How do you know? So I tell them, oh, just name it, we'll claim it. You know, just believe it, we'll achieve it. No. Why do I know there's going to be milk and cookies? Because I know there's a Mimi. And as long as there's a Mimi and grandkids want milk and cookies, there will be milk and cookies. And so I said, Mimi's home and there'll be milk. And I'm not talking any milk, I'm talking that kind of kids like that come in a cold box and you slurk it with a straw and it's chocolate and the cookies are fresh out of the oven that's what mimi does just what they want you believe it your faith is in a person in the same way for salvation your faith is in a person it's in christ you don't do anything the person does it christ does it christ gives us his righteousness a good way in my opinion to describe faith is a child with empty hands what is faith? It's a child with empty hands. Do you come to Christ like a child? See, in my hands, nothing I bring. Christ gives us himself. I receive him by faith. I trust that what that his gift to me is righteousness. That he will give me himself, and he will satisfy God in my behalf. Well, that's where he gets in verse 25. Verse 25, a demonstration here of righteousness. Verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate. His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one whose faith in Jesus. Now, there's a lot of theology there it's complicated for folks. Let me just clear it up a little bit. God passed over. What is he saying? He didn't say he's passing over sin. He's basically saying he deferred payment. He's saying people like King David... Esther, Hannah, whoever you want to pick in the Old Testament, they had to look in faith to Christ's coming. Their redemption is in Christ. God says, I deferred payment until I could demonstrate righteousness in Christ. So those who died before Christ, I deferred the payment. They had to look in faith to Christ coming. They had to say, I need someone besides myself to earn salvation for me and to give that to me. And I trust God is going to raise that person up. And they were looking for Christ. We look backwards to Christ. Christ is the demonstration that he's pointing out here. God displayed Christ publicly as, verse 25, a propitiation in his blood. Now, depending on your translation this morning, you can look it up especially on your smart apps, in different translations. And you'll see, if you've got the NIV, it doesn't say propitiation. doesn't say blood. They took both of those words out, though they are in the Greek, and replaced them with, I think, sacrifice of atonement. Thinking sacrifice of atonement, maybe that helps you understand hard theology a little bit better. I don't know. I think you lack something by going that way. Uh, there's some other translations who have substituted propitiation with the word expiation. To me, like that really helps. You know, if you don't know propitiation, you probably don't know expiation either. Uh, but some have done that. But again, I think you lack a little something when you get removed from the original words here. The words are propitiation in his blood. Now, let me try to clear it up for you, because you're going to come across these words as you read your Bibles uh, As I've tried to get a handle on propitiation and just what it means, uh, it might be helpful just to think about looking at salvation. It's such a big thing from different angles or from different perspectives. And as you read Scripture, you'll have a context that gives you salvation from just one perspective instead of from the whole thing, typically. Uh, For example, when uh, salvation is described, redemption in Christ... Sometimes it's described as a ritual. We have it in the Lord's Supper. A, a ritual was a sacrifice in front of us, and so in that sense, sacrifice is more along the terms of expiation. The um, the uh, ritual is there to show that the guilt and the sin has somehow been removed. Uh, a sacrifice has been made, so the sin is cut off. It's expiated. Uh, It's removed from you. So salvation, you can look at it from the ritual perspective. Another way, you can look at salvation from a relational perspective. When you're thinking about a relationship, there's a relationship between us and God. And at that point, when you're from a relational perspective, salvation is reconciliation. We are reconciled with God. God is no longer against us. We're no longer fighting Him. We become uh, those who are at peace with one another. So you see salvation as a relational thing. Uh, Salvation is a sacrifice. Salvation is reconciliation. Another way to look at uh, salvation is commercially. There's a commercial angle. In commerce, somebody has to pay. There has to be a payment. And salvation is viewed that way from Scripture as a payment for sin. Let's, that's when we're looking at this commercial perspective. Who who's paying for our redemption? Well, Christ is paying for our redemption. And another way you can look at salvation is from a legal angle. Romans does that a lot. Legally, we are before the court of God. And we are deemed guilty. How do we go free if we don't somehow get pardon from the court? So that we can go forward. In that sense, salvation is justification. We become justified. Someone is pleading our cause. So you see Christ doing all of that. Now we come to the word propitiation. When you get to the word propitiation, I think what God is doing is he's encompassing perhaps all of those angles. It's like, here's a chance for us to go deep. Instead of just looking at salvation as payment for sin commercially. Instead of just looking at it relationally as reconciliation. Instead of just looking at expiation, the the sacrifice, the cutting away of guilt and sin. Instead of just looking at it these ways, let's step back and get all of those ways together. Propitiation is averting the wrath of God through the righteousness, righteous gift of Christ. Well, If you're satisfying the wrath of God, that's that's that relationship where you're looking at it relationally. But see, it's more than looking at it relationship-wise. We're being reconciled, yes, we're at peace with God. The wrath of God's moved, but it's removed by applying the righteousness of Christ, which becomes a payment, which becomes what cuts us off from guilt and sin. All of these things start getting included. I think propitiation just takes us deeper by showing us God is offended and he's angry and he is going to cut us off. He's going to destroy us. He's going to send us to the pits of hell unless something clears us from our sin. Something justifies us. He says the demonstration is Christ in his blood that we trust Publicly, Christ was on the cross for us. He spilt his blood for us. That's God's public demonstration. And that sacrifice, that ritual, created a reconciliation, it cut off our sin, it cleansed us of our sins, it reconciled us with God, it held back his wrath, it united us to him in peace. Propitiation in his blood is what we need. Uh, when did God love us? After the sacrifice or before it? Look at 1 John 4, 10. This is my favorite uh, new member passage. So as you've joined the church, you've heard me read this. 1 John 4, verse 10. It says, "In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of For our sins. When did the love occur? Before Christ's sacrifice or after? Well, it says before. This is love, not that we did something. We didn't earn it. We didn't do something first. This is love that God loved us. And God chose to send Christ. And he chose to send us Christ because of his love. As a public demonstration... That I am going to wash you, cleanse you, satisfy my wrath, my anger, my need for righteous keeping of the law. All of that in Christ. That's propitiation in Christ's blood. Averting all of God's wrath, all of his dissatisfaction with us by giving us Christ. So Christ, and it's through faith. He said, I'm giving you my son to satisfy my wrath, you distrust. Receive Christ with open hands. And you are righteous. You're justified. Um, you know, when Satan wants to uh, accuse us, Christ has tricked him. He says, he's innocent. He, I mean, he's, he's sinful. He's sinful. You can't let him go into heaven. And Christ says, yeah, I know he's sinful. All are sin Fall short of the glory of God. You know, when Kim Kardashian... Goes and gets these criminals and wants to get them out of jail. And that becomes news lately. She's doing a good thing. She's pleading for the innocence of a victim. Somebody is in jail wrongly. We need to get them out because they're innocent. But in our case, we don't have somebody like that, somebody like that pleading our innocence. Rather, somebody looks at us, Satan, Christ, whoever, says they're guilty. And Christ says, I know they're guilty. And they'll never get out because they're innocent. Let's get them out by exchange. I will give myself for them. I will give my record of righteousness for their unrighteousness. And God says, that'll work. And he publicly demonstrates with Christ on the cross. He says, this is the sacrifice that cuts you off from your guilt And it allows you to stand in my presence innocent. Um, To help you see the wrath of God, the propitiation concept a little bit more. You remember back in Genesis 15 when God made the covenant? I'll just rehearse it with you for a minute. As as Abraham and God are meeting, he says, okay, we're going to make a covenant. And this is going to be the sign of this covenant. He says, get some animals. And they got the animals. And they cut the animals half in two. And they laid open the animals on two sides of a path. So you could walk between this half and that half. And God says, now, I'm going to make a covenant. I'll be your God, you be my people. He says, if either one of us break the covenant, we'll come back to this. This is the sign. Anyone breaks the covenant, he is deserving of death. And that person must be cut in two just like these animals. And blood must be spilt. Neighbor Samuel, Abraham agreed, God agreed, that was the covenant. It was called, they cut an agreement, called making a covenant. Now, God says, so it started in Genesis demonstrating the need for obedience to the law. Well, of course, we didn't keep the law. None of us have, Jew or Gentile alike. And God says, let me demonstrate what I'm going to do as a result. We've got to go all the way back. Someone has to be cut. Someone's blood has to be spilt. And he demonstrates by saying, I will give you Christ to die in your place. He will keep the arrangement by being slaughtered as a sacrifice for your sins. Hallelujah. God gives us Christ. There's no free pass. Someone has to pay. Christ pays for us. Um, verse twenty-six. For this demonstration, I say of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Verse twenty-seven. So where then is boasting? Well, it's excluded. Why? You don't. I don't. We don't do anything to boast about. It's, boasting's excluded. We don't earn anything here. We just receive a gift and it's a gift of righteousness. So he says so you say, but we like to worship our achievements. We like our own self-effort. He said, "Well, that's excluded. That's that's not going to get you where you need to go here. It's excluded by what kind of law? Of works? No. By the law of faith. It's excluded because the only way to receive Christ is just to believe him. It's by faith. It's not by doing anything. Verse 28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith, meaning the Jew, and the uncircumcised, the Gentile, through faith is one. Verse 31. Do we then nullify the law through faith? And at this point, Paul is shaking his head. Absolutely not. No. Pay attention. Listen to me here. May it never be on the contrary. He says, we established the law. Did, did you not get that? He says, why did Christ die? He died because the law of the covenant had to be upheld. It had to be fulfilled. And you couldn't do it. And I couldn't do it. The law of God is literally unachievable. Take take the summary of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. How many of you can do that perfectly? No hand. None of us can. It's, It's unachievable. We want to and we can strive to, but we can't achieve it. So what happens? We all fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. So we all should be damned. But Christ says, no, let me demonstrate someone who can keep the law of God. It's Christ. And Christ keeps the law of God perfectly. He makes the sacrifice. He says, let me not only let Christ live righteously, but let me let him die in your place. So there's an exchange. We'll exchange him for you. And you'll get to go free. Well, does that nullify the law? He says, no, no, no. He kept the law. Every jot and tittle of the law, he didn't throw it out. It is achievable to him. Sometimes when we say, "Well, we can't achieve the law," we say, "Well, I, can't, I just can't keep all of God's laws," so we start making our laws. I hate legalism, don't you? This is this is what people do. They say, "I can't keep God's laws," so I'll do something I think is almost as good and it'll make God happy. I'll create laws I can keep, like let's don't smoke, let's don't drink, let's don't dance. Let's don't dress a certain way. See, when we start coming up with rules like that, they're all achievable. Huh. I can do that. The churches get established. We're going to have a church with this music, this dress, this, 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 this. this. I can do that. Finally, I'm in a place where I can do it. And we feel good about self-effort. And God says, it's not self-effort. It's apart from those works. It's only a gift. If you get it any other way, you don't get it. It's only a gift. Why? Both ways abolish the law. They don't establish the law. Has to be established. When you come up with your rules, you did you nullify the law? Well, you thought you did. Came up with your own rules and you're going to go to heaven and say, "God, yeah, I didn't keep your law, but I didn't smoke and I didn't drink and I didn't do." God's going to say, "And that's supposed to make me happy?" Where did you come up with that? I'm only happy when my law is perfectly kept. Well, that's unachievable. I can't do that possibly. And God says, bingo, that's the point. Because you couldn't do it, I sent Christ to do it for you. Did you receive him? Did you trust him? Did you believe he was your sacrifice? He was the one who died in your place. That's where we need to be. Um, And that's where Paul gets to, that uh, the law of God is perfectly established. Christ perfectly keeps it and all of Scripture. From the law and the prophets to now declares that we need the law of God. Because the law of God demonstrates the righteousness of Christ. The law of God gives us the character of God. You're going to see more and more the beauty of the law. Paul speaks in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All the scripture, all of the law is profitable. It's God breathed. It's for your admonition, your protection, your correction, your training in righteousness so that everyone is thoroughly furnished. Not nine out of ten commandments, all of the commandments. All the scripture is profitable for you. God says, and it's profitable because it's all something Christ kept in your place, and it demonstrates God's character. It's just I'll spend a little time on this because so many people, when they hear that phrase apart from the law, think we're just throwing the law out. No, no, and no, we're not throwing it out. We're establishing it. We're throwing out our ability to keep it in exchange for Christ's ability to keep it. But if we throw it out, saying we don't need law, if you don't need the law, then you don't need anybody to keep it. So if you don't need the law, you don't need Jesus. And if you don't need Jesus, you're going to hell. The law has been established, so if the law is established, then I need Jesus. But I need the law for so many things. A verse I just came across, let me share this with you. I've never heard anybody share it before. I I read it uh, a few weeks ago as I was reading through the Bible. Uh, Proverbs 28 and uh, I said yes as I read this I said this is so practical Uh, Proverbs 28 verse 9 says he who turns away his ear from listening to the law think about that if you turn away your ear from listening to the law even his prayer is an abomination so if you throw out the law you can't even pray Your prayer makes God mad when you throw out the law. God says, he who turns away his ear from listening, the law is firmly established because the law demonstrates Christ's righteousness. We need the law to see Christ. We need the law to come to Christ, to receive Christ, to live for Christ. We need the law of God to pray. You can't pray and ask God for something that's not according to his law and expect it to be answered. Because that's what pleases him. The perfect keeping of his law. That's why Christ's sacrifice was so pleasing to God. Because Christ died as the perfect keeping of his law. And it so pleased God that he was willing to take that sacrifice on our behalf. Um, Without laws, we're uncaring. We're We're indifferent. We don't really understand Christ. No law, no love. It's the love of God has been demonstrated to us that Christ died for law breakers. Being the perfect law fulfiller and exchanging one for the other. Let's pray together. Father, help us to see the importance of your word and your truth and our need for righteousness that we cannot be justified. We cannot be right before you unless Christ dies in our place. We need Him. We need Him. We need Him. The law is established. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for giving it to us. Thank You for the propitiation in Christ's blood. Because there's a law that must be kept, we need propitiation in Christ's blood. We ask, Lord, that You would help us to see more and more, our need of Christ, that we would depend upon him more, that we would demonstrate and share him more, that we would worship and adore him more because we need him so badly. Father, for those that are seeing for the first time, open their eyes, open their hearts, grant them the gift of righteousness in Christ alone. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.